You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Jaylene Roberts was born with cerebral palsy. She was encouraged by her high school coaches to compete in the ambulatory races at the Washington State track meet. After some convincing, she would ultimately get involved with adaptive sports through Parasports Spokane, a Move United member organization. Jaylene's first para track and field competition took place at the Desert Challenge Games, where she also got classified. Just a couple months ago, she competed in her first Paralympic Games in Tokyo earning silver medals in the 100-meter and the long jump. So, Jaylene, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thanks for joining me. Yes, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I thought we would uh, just jump in because I know we have um, listeners that have different disabilities and listeners that may not have a disability but are are coming to this space either to to learn or, be, or because they want to get involved. Um, for someone that, that may not be familiar, what is cerebral palsy? Um, so cerebral palsy, uh, is a disability. Um, mine was caused by a stroke at birth, um, and it affects my muscle coordination, um, and strength. Um, and so, so yeah, I was born with it and my mom noticed at about age, like two ish, like around the time I started to walk, um, cause she would notice that my movements weren't um, the same as a typical child. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting because although it, although it presents as physical, um, it acts, it actually is a neurological, um, disability. So I think that's really interesting. And I actually didn't learn a whole lot about it until I got involved, um, with Parasport. I knew that I knew how to explain it to somebody if they asked. Um, but I didn't know a whole lot of background information or, even like how large the spectrum is or the different types there are. Um, so yeah, if one thing I'm grateful for, for track is that it's helped me to learn a lot about my own disability, um, which I feel like is something important so that you can explain it to people when they ask. Right. And, and you talked about, obviously, um, it's not a one size fits all scenario, right? That, that, Right. Individuals with uh, cerebral palsy and CP, you know, have have uh, varying degrees, or it might affect people differently than others, and so it's not just this one kind of group or or right, right, uh, yeah, because type of- yeah, exactly, because lots of times um, when people learn that I have cerebral palsy, they'll get confused and they'll say, "Oh, my my cousin's sister." has cerebral palsy but she can't walk or talk and they say oh you look so able you don't look like anything's wrong with you and so I try to put it in perspective for them and I explain that for example in the Paralympics um there is the cerebral palsy classes go from 30 to 38 um Mm -hmm. and 38 is the highest functioning and I'm a 37 so I'm pretty high functioning. And so a lot of times people don't even notice. And some people do, I, I guess it just depends on how attentive each individual is. But um, 
yeah, so I explain to people like there's such a big spectrum. There's people that are more able than me, and then there's people that um, need help doing like daily living tasks. So, yeah, and I think that's just so important for all of us to remember because you know, one, not all disabilities are even visible. Uh, and even if they are visible, people have this perception of what a disability should be or is perceived to them as. And I think that's a good reminder that, that is, you know, that's not the case at all. Yeah. And, and so you're, you mentioned, obviously, parent sport and, and your, your participation in sports. When and how did you get involved in sports? Um, so I started able-bodied sports when I was uh, five years old. I started playing soccer. Um, and I played soccer all the way up through graduation, um, of high school. And then I started running track in elementary school in the fourth grade. Um, and I also thought at that age that it would just be something that I did up until, um, the end of high school, maybe mm -hmm. college, maybe like a junior college, but definitely not like at an elite level. Um, and then eighth grade, I joined wrestling and I did wrestling from, eighth grade to senior year of high school. Um, and I actually got some offers from a couple colleges for wrestling. So that was my plan. That's what I had intended to do. Um, and then my senior year of high school, I was introdu introduced to my first uh, Paralympic coach, David Gregg. Um, and that happened because during my junior year of high school, they started the ambulatory division at Washington State um, high schools. Mm -hmm. And my high school track coaches wanted me to do it. And I told them, I'm not really comfortable doing that. I don't really want to highlight my disability as a part of me that I've always seen as normal. I've never, you know, um, and I've learned like what is normal. There's not really a normal. Um, so they went to the state track meet and obviously I didn't compete in it. Um, got back from it and I think I was in like geography class and my track coach comes and pulls me out and he said, hey, I met these two coaches, um, David Gregg and his wife, Teresa Skinner, and uh, they're part of Paralympics. Have you ever heard of that? And I'm like, no, never. Um, and he kind of explained it to me. And once again, I felt like they were trying to get me to do something that I like didn't want to do. And he's like, but wait, like it's so much more because at the high school level, they group you with everybody, no matter what disability you have or how severe it is. Um, and I knew gr because growing up, I competed against able-bodied individuals. I was already at a high level. So I wanted to give like my counterparts uh, equal playing field and also myself. So if I didn't make it to state as just an able-bodied runner, like I was okay with that. Um, and so he explained what the Paralympics was and said that these coaches wanted to meet up with me. And so their team, Parasport Spokane, came to Seattle for a twilight meet. Um, and I met them and they were like the most friendly people I have ever met. And I never really felt like I was out of place uh, in able-bodied community because I, I was liked in school, I played sports, I was really involved in associated student body. Um, but I didn't know when meeting them that I would feel like this sense of belonging that I never really didn't feel like I had, I guess. It's really confusing, but in my head, it, it makes sense. Um, and that same me, David, my coach, he called um, the former head of United States Paralympic track and field. And he's like, I got a new athlete. She's really good. And um, 
and they gave me the paperwork and then just the following that was in like a late October and just the following February was my first uh, para competition at Desert Challenge Games and then I also had qualified that year for my first international competition which was world championships in London so it all happened really fast um, and like I'm always grateful for my mom for putting me in sports at such a young age because had I had not been in sports or had she put me possibly with um, like adaptive sports at a really young age, I may not have been, you know, as competitive, but because of that, I think I came in um, at a higher level than some people do um, just because of the experiences I've had competing against able-bodied students. So. And, and you, you said something that was, was interesting in terms of um, you, you, you kind of shied away from that and, and, yeah. and and was it because you didn't want to have a, a, a label or, you know, you didn't want to be perceived as disabled or what, what was kind of the hesitation personally for you at yeah. that time? I guess um, for me, like in elementary school, I really didn't experience, I mean, throughout my education, I didn't really experience a lot of bullying a little bit in elementary school when I was really young because the kids were also really young and they didn't understand like, why do you look different? You know? Um, but nothing like nothing super crazy. Um, and so yeah, in middle school, high school, I was popular. I was always included in everything. So I just never felt different. I was like, I don't want to do something that is going to like highlight me like, Oh, this is a different race for these people that are different, you know? Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. And so this is not something I want to do. And even when I, got you know got involved in the Paralympics it was still scary but I knew that in order like to see what opportunity was going to arise from that I had to step out of my comfort zone and I guess that's one of the biggest things I've learned throughout this whole experience is it's important to do that because had I not done that I would have not known everything that was to come after that um but I did I was able to step out of my comfort zone and I also had a really good support system that guided me along the way. Um, so I wasn't alone in making any big decisions um, or training or going to competitions or any of that. Um, and I think that really helped me. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's the, a good lesson for all of us is just be, be willing to step outside of our comfort zones, right. From time to time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's super important. You never know. You never know what magic can happen outside of that. Um if you don't just try, you know, and, and if you, if you step out and you don't like it, then great. You know, at least you gave it a shot. And I think, I think, I think everyone owes it to themselves to at least just give it a shot, you know, because they could do it and not like it, but they could do it and it could become like a huge part of their life. And that's what it was for me. I didn't think that it was really going to turn into anything. I was going to go run at this meet where these coaches were at and just whatever, see what happens. And then, like that very next year I was competing on an international level. So yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. It happened really fast, but uh, that whole like first year was crazy. It was a crazy fun experience. And and you mentioned Paris sports McCann, of course uh, you couldn't have been introduced to a better program. I mean, they have a, uh, they do a great job up there, and I know, uh, of course, it's a member of movie, member organization of Movie United. So we love what what Trice and the whole crew there does does up there. Uh, and then you also mentioned that you went to um, your first Desert Challenge Games, and you, yeah, did yeah. you get classified there? Yes, I did. Yeah, that same year I got, and I think it's because um, 
I had, I had not run any para meets, but I had, I did run in high school. Mm-hmm. So they had times from that. Um, and so, yeah, I was able to get classified, um, which then qualified me to run for nationals. And that's where I, that's where I made the world champ team. Yeah. So Desert Challenge was, and it was so cool. Desert Challenge was so cool because I had never seen so many people with disabilities, obviously not all the same disabilities, but just like um, a community of athletes with disabilities. It was just, I don't even know how to describe it, but um, I think it was eye-opening for one, because like I said, I was always involved in able-bodied community growing up. So there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me. Um, And so just being involved in the community, you know, helps me so much to just realize that everyone, you know, like we can do great things too. And we're not weird. We're not like, you know, those labels are not something that I think should be like carried on for decades and decades. Because um, when I was younger, you know, as like a lot of children do, if I seen someone in a wheelchair, I would be like, mom, like what, you know, like, why are they like that? You know? And now Mm -hmm. I see an amputee in the store or someone in a wheelchair or somebody with dwarfism. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, like, just like, you know, like they're just, they're just like everybody else. Okay. Um, they shouldn't, they shouldn't like have these labels placed upon them by people that don't even know better, you know? Yeah. You know, when you, and you, you mentioned it, but obviously when you go to, you know, desert challenge games or junior nationals or any of these, events it, it becomes a community and i think you mentioned and i wanted to circle back to it something about you know it was a community that you you and i, I don't want to put words in your mouth but it was yeah. a community that you realized you didn't know you weren't you you were a part of or needed to be, wanted to be a part of um can you walk walk us through that a little bit more yeah so when i met david and Teresa and their crew um it was like this overwhelming like sense of belonging but i didn't ever feel like I didn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't feel like I was lacking anything necessarily, but then when you are around that community and you have never been, it's like, Whoa, like now I'm like a part of something greater than myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so same thing happened then again, when I went to desert challenge games and there's even more athletes and athletes from other countries and athletes with different disabilities. Um, then you feel that even more and you get to know other people, you know, um, because with Parasport on the track team, I'm one of the older athletes. Um, so there were a lot of younger athletes. And so I love, I love mentoring like younger girls with disabilities. Um, but it's cool too being at desert challenge and then going to the world championships, um, getting to be around people that have disabilities, but closer to your own age. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just love it. Like, I love going to competitions. I've made, like, some of my best friends in um, in the Paralympics. Uh, yeah, and I love telling people about it, too. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's just super fun. It's super fun to, to be a part of it. And and obviously, just in terms of your, your role in talking about it and promoting it, I mean, hopefully, hopefully there will be kids that will know about the Paralympics, you know, unlike, unlike, you know, obviously when you were growing up and, and many, I've heard many other athletes, you know, uh, that, you know, 
never had heard of the Paralympics, but hopefully because right. of, you know, the movement that we're in and, and yourself and, and what you're doing and what everybody's doing, it won't be that secret or that unknown thing that people will, you know, when they ask, have you heard of the Paralympics? The answer will be yes. Oh, of course I've heard right. about the Absolutely. Paralympics. And, and so um, one of the things that, that struck me uh, about uh, learning about you is that, is the fact that you uh, were a wrestler? How did that? Uh, how did that interest come out, come out of? Uh, where did you <laughs> Where did you develop that interest and desire to to wrestle? Um, so I didn't really have one. So it happened. And actually, the thought of it happened in my seventh grade year. So seventh grade, I just love playing sports. I love being active. Um, so I each season I wanted to do a sport. I never like wanted to go home after school. I wanted to always be involved in something. So. Um, so seventh grade I did, I tried out for basketball and I made the team. Um, but just, I could not grasp the game of basketball, all the plays, that type of thing. I was fast and I could run up and down the court. Um, and I, and I have a feeling looking back, that's probably one of the big reasons I made the team. Um, but during the season, I didn't get a whole lot of playing time because there were girls that had the speed, but they also understood the game of basketball really well because they had played it growing up and had siblings play growing up. And that was never a family sport for us. Um, And so I just didn't really like how I didn't get a lot of playing time. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do this next year. I'm, I stuck out the season. I didn't quit halfway or anything. Um, But then one of my classmates told me that she was going to do wrestling in eighth grade. And I was like, no, you're not like, you're just talking. And she's like, no, I am. Um, And I was like, okay, me too. And that's, that was kind of how it started. Um, And I showed up to wrestling practice and my favorite PE teacher was my wrestling coach. So it made it even more fun. Um, And then I was just really good in middle school. I didn't wrestle any girls because it wasn't, um, they're starting to become more girls as the year go on in middle school, but girls always pop up in high school. There's a lot, a lot of girls in high school, um, but middle schoolers, middle school years, I was beating uh, the boys and <laughs> it was just so much fun. And I was, I was really good at it and I liked it. Um, I liked going to the tournaments. I liked practicing. Um, and so I just, stick, I just stuck with it in high school and it worked out because in high school, my three seasons were soccer and then wrestling and then track. So I could do all the sports that I grew up doing. Um, And then I got to high school and it like, there's a whole girls league. Like you barely wrestle any boys at tournaments or meets or anything. Um, And so I was, I was pretty good there too. I actually, uh, my first year I was a state alternate. And then my second year of high school, I placed eighth in state. And then the next two years I didn't place. Um, But yeah, I was, I, I was not bad. I was not bad. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, was about, I was thinking about going to college for it. So, but yeah, no, I love, I love the sport of wrestling. If I, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be certified as a PE teacher soon. Um, I really want to coach wrestling and track. Um, and my, my high school track coaches, they tell me all the time, if you ever want to come to walk back to Washington, we have a job for you. You can be a PE teacher. I'm like, I don't know about what, I don't know if I want to go back to Washington. <laughs> um, not anytime soon. I like the sun out here, but yeah. So yeah, once I, once I'm either done with track in years, I don't even have that timeline in my head, but years from now, whenever I decide to retire from track, I will probably transition um, 
to being a sports coach at high school. So like PE teach or um, teach health or PE. And then after school be probably wrestling and track. Don't know about soccer yet. I do like soccer, um, but just the passion's not as strong as it is for wrestling and track. So understood but but you're funny it's it's funny because i was one of those um at least for a, a year or so i i was i was a three three sport athlete too and and my ninth grade year i wrestled only my ninth grade year because you know football it was football for me in the fall it was basketball for me up through like eighth grade and then i realized i'm not gonna i'm not good enough to make a high school basketball team so that's yeah. funny that you mentioned that too and so i'm like okay i'll give wrestling a try and then and then spring was baseball and um and i did this so i wrestled one year did well finished third in the county you know great but i just decided that no it's not something i i necessarily want to continue so it's funny that that you have yeah. that kind of three sport uh, <laughs> mentality as well yeah no i I'm, i love just being an athlete it's just something <laughs> i've always been <laughs> Exactly. And, and so, so as, as Tokyo approached, and we can talk about obviously 2020, and then it, it's obviously moved to 2021. Um, where did you, did, did you have an expectation, you know, either right away, or that you would be, um, you know, competing at, at your first Paralympics there, or, or kind of, kind of share your, your thoughts on, on how that transpired? Yeah. Um, so since I joined track in 2017, that has always been the goal. Um, and I knew I came in good enough to do that. Um, and so that was like my baseline goal. My goal was to medal at the Paralympic mm-hmm. games. Um, and yeah, I, but so I think had we had it in 2020, um, I don't know how well I would have done the whole beginning of the pandemic to like recently has been a whirlwind. Um, and so I wasn't, I don't think I was super mentally or physically prepared in 2020. And in hindsight, I couldn't really see that. I was just blinded by the fact that, Oh my God, the Paralympic games got canceled. Like this was supposed to be the moment. And I was just like distraught. Um, and then I started coming to terms with it and, realizing there's nothing I can do about it, but what can I control? You know, I can control how I train from now on. I can control getting my mental state, um, correct, you know, better. Um, and so that's one thing I've always done too, is just focus on the things I can control instead of the things I can't. And my coach constantly, constantly reminded me of that. Um, because I would always get hung up on things that I can do nothing about. And so, mm-hmm worrying about it is not going to do anything. It's just going to make it worse, you know? Um, but, and coming into this Paralympic games, uh, I, I surprised myself. Definitely. Um, I, I knew that I, I knew that the 200 would be pretty tough. Um, just cause speed endurance has always been something that I've been working on. Um, and I was a little, I was a little worried about the 100. I wasn't, I knew that it could go any way. Um, and so I didn't really, I didn't try to set a super, super high expectation because I was just nervous that I would just let myself down. Um, long jump, I, I, long jump, I was confident in placing in. Um, but yeah, that 100, I think surprised me and a lot of people, um, (laughs) because I have never won two Chinese athlete before. So that the girl who got third, I had never beat her before. 
Um, so that was like the most exciting moment out of the whole games for me. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that moment was, I got a picture of it. Somebody, one of the photographers got a picture of me at the end of the race. Um, and that like in captures like the whole games for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and and you you met your baseline goal. Obviously, you you made the Paralympics and made the made Team USA. You met your other goal, which, which was medal, because you got walked away with two silver medals, which is awesome. Yeah. And and so um, as you as as the games obviously is, is wrap, wrapping up, you you mentioned that you're um, you know kind of you're you're going to school and you're and you're wrapping up your schooling. You're student teaching right now, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, and and um, and so after that, you you complete your collegiate uh, or at least your bachelor's degree, right? Yeah, yeah, I completed bachelor's degree, um, bachelor's degree in health and fitness, um, secondary education endorsement, and then also a coaching minor. Okay, so you've set you've already set yourself up for you know a, a future career and opportunity as soon as uh, as soon as right. you want to become a PE teacher and coach, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and so you moved. You said you moved, obviously, from Washington to a little bit of a warmer area. You're now at the Chula Vista Complex. Um, for those that may not be familiar, and I know obviously we have a few different Team USA complexes around the around the country that are kind of full time training um, complexes. What what's it like being on a campus like that? Yeah, so I actually am an offsite athlete. So I live in the city of San Diego, but I train in Chula Vista. Um, but yeah, when you're at a training center like that, I feel like it's a lot more structured than any other program or place you can train just because of how much um, support staff they have and resources they have. Um, you have your strength and conditioning coach, um, minus Gustavo, and uh, he's very organized, um, give really attentive when you're doing your workouts and gives really good feedback. Um and then I have my coach, Chris Mack. Uh, he's my new coach. We've been working together um, recently, but I've known him for years um, and I've always liked him. So um, it works out. And then you also have your nutritionist, minus Sally. And then they have um, chiropractors, uh, physical therapists, massage therapists, mental health therapists. Um, so there's just like a plethora of resources there. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. And also um, they provide food for athletes, uh, whether you're off campus or on campus. So after practice, I can go in the calf and um, get a nutritious meal. And it's all, it's all really good. Um, really like freshly cooked food. Um, but yeah, it's nice to kind of like, it's like a little getaway too. Like I can just go from my apartment or teaching, you know, and go to the center and it's like separate. Like I can just put all my focus there um, instead of doing training in my backyard, you know, um, mm -hmm. metaphorically or literally, but um, <laughs> yeah, like it's like, it's like its own little, its own little knit kind of like, so I like it though. Um, and, and is yeah. it, is it, is it unique? I like, you know, we're obviously at this point just a, maybe a couple months out from uh, the Paralympic games to immediately kind of go into that serious training mode. I know some athletes like to take some time off and, 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 you know, almost like a mini vacation or rest, but it looks like you just jumped right back into uh, to training at the, at the, at the lead level. And, and, and is there a benefit to, for you for doing that? Well, I had, 
had I had some time off. So we got back um, the beginning of September, and I I just started training. Well, I started um, doing strength workouts um, at the beginning of the month, and then I started doing my running workouts uh, last week. Um, so. But I had I had a pretty good break. I personally don't want too of a too long of a break because I feel like the longer of the break you have, the less motivated you become, and then the less you want to like get back to it, and the harder it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. If I'm being honest, my my first running workout uh, was pretty tough because it's it's my conditioning phase. Um, so it's just like getting back into shape from taking like that little bit of time off. Um, and yeah, taking the slightest bit of time off can make it so much harder. Um, but I do think that it is necessary just because, like, how taxing the games is, like, mentally and physically and, like, the travel and the time changes and the jet lag and all that competing and all that anxiety and stress and it's just everything. I think it's important that you, like, at least have a little break after to, like, just not, like, not do anything, kind of, like, disassoci- disassociate yourself for, like, just a second just so you can breathe and, like, get back on track and for me it was a big transition because I had to move right when I got back from the games I actually moved from Washington to San Diego um so I that was like the perfect time to have training off because I, there's no way I could have kept up my my regimen while trying to like get everything situated and uh, move and drive here and all that stuff so um definitely definitely time needed but I always feel better when I'm working out um struggle a lot I have a mental illness so I when I work out I just I I feel better um during the workout maybe not but afterwards I always feel better when I when I stop working out over a certain amount of time like I'll notice how like I just go from like like if I'm on especially after Tokyo if you're on a high and then you're not it's like and then you kind of like level out um but yeah no, I like, I like how I feel when I work out. Um, so I'm glad too that I have this program at the center because it definitely keeps me going. I don't have to, um, worry about like, obviously I have to take accountability, but it's somewhere that I can physically go. Um, and it was same thing with my last program too. It was like a structured program where I had to go somewhere to do my workout instead of having a remote coach, um, which to me that would just as the type of athlete I am, that would be a lot harder for me. Um, just because it's so much harder to be motivated when you're by yourself mm-hmm. and you don't get as much direct feedback because they're not watching you do your workouts. So I guess that's another thing I really like about it is it's like they're there. They can give you direct feedback with everything that you do. Yeah. And so I think it's just for, for you and obviously many athletes, it's that structure and it's that routine that right. helps and, and so, Jaylene, the last question I have for you is just, you know, do you have advice for uh, younger athletes? You, t- you already talked about, you know, when you were at Paris Sports Bucan, you mentored a lot of younger athletes. What, what advice would you give to maybe a, a young male or female uh, individual with a disability in terms of getting involved in parasport? Um, take a chance. There's there's a lot. It's, it's not uncommon for people to be hesitant initially um when they get introduced to the sport um because it's not the norm um and so i would say take a chance i know i know people who have been their parents have brought them to practice and they have thrown fits they have younger younger like really young athletes um 
they have their own fits from and a lot of that is just like being scared because you're around new people but then you add on to that now you're going to see a bunch of different people because you might have a disability but then you've never seen like someone in a wheelchair or someone with one leg or you know so you're 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 being exposed to different things um and so I understand that it's scary um and that's completely valid but even if you get into it slowly I would take the steps to see and stick it out for a while you can't go to one sports practice um or meet one para-athlete and then make your decision around about like oh no I don't want to do this like take you know so I guess I guess my my biggest piece of advice that is just really small is just take a chance um, because I think that it can open a lot of opportunities that people would never see otherwise. Um, and also, I just think that I think that it's important too for um, people that do know if you're a younger athlete already involved, like spread that awareness and tell your story. And because I think that when I share my story of just the specific part about how I was so hesitant to get involved and then where I'm at now, um, that might help younger athletes who are also hesitant and trying to like refuse their parents to go to practices um, just because they're a little scared. I think just like, I think it's really important to get out of your comfort zone because that's how you grow. Um, yeah. Yeah.